The true state of present moment awareness is simply allowing yourself to be, breath by breath, sweetly aware of the grace and divine unfolding of the universe. That is a quote by our guest today, David G. Welcome to HEAL, conversations to guide you toward personal growth and overall well-being. Thank you so much for joining me um, on this episode of HEAL. We have a very special guest. I feel like I say that every episode of HEAL, but we have a very special guest. And this is a personally a very special guest for me. Um, everyone who does know me knows that I'm a meditation teacher, uh, knows that I teach meditation here in Mansfield, Massachusetts. The reason why I got into meditation is because of my guest here. Let's welcome him, David G. Hi. Well, hello. I didn't know that. That's very exciting. Well, of course you didn't. You pro yeah. There's probably millions of us like me out there who heard your voice for the first time and thought, oh my God, I can meditate with this person. Not only was your voice soothing and comforting and relaxing, your, the content of your meditation and what you teach is amazing. Um, so I, I, I love, love, love your story. I was lucky enough to come see you in um, Philadelphia for a yes, I can. I think it was a Hay House. Oh yeah, I can do it. I think it was right after your book, um, Distressifying maybe came out. Does that sound right? I don't, I don't remember, but I do know yeah. that you told your story about how you came to meditation. Um, my story is I heard you on a 21 day challenge, email challenge. So I listened to, I listened to it, followed it, did it, loved it. My sister listens to you. My sister told me I need to listen to you and I was already. So it was kind of like this crazy confluence of synchronicity, one of my favorite words. Um, and I learned Reiki at the same time too and you talked a lot about chakras. So really everything for me came together at that point and you were the perfect teacher for me at that point, I think. So do you feel comfortable sharing how you came to learn that meditation would help you? Sure, sure. Thank you. You know, uh, building on, on, on what you were saying, I think that um, there are three components uh, that must be in alignment or fusion or synchronicity, as you were saying, uh, for transformation to occur. Um, the first is the message. We have to like think, you know, understand like, oh, that, I resonate with that message, whatever that message is, whatever it could be. It can be a belief system, it can be political, it can be, you know, it, it, it can be meditation, it can be understanding life at a deeper level, whatever that is. But we have to like resonate with the message. Then it's the messenger. So we have to either trust the writer or the speaker or the deliverer of the message in some way. So it's like, I get that message and I'm trusting this voice, you know, whether it's written or, or oral. Um, that's conveying it. And the third and most critical is timing. Yeah. Because if the message and the messenger are brilliant, but you're just not paying attention or you're checking your phone or your watch or, or any of those things, 
or you're just not in that space to be receptive, that doesn't right. matter. It just comes and it flies right, right by. But if the timing is right and that window is there, yeah, then it's sort of like boom, you know, and it could be the teeniest little message, you know, or it could be the most profound. But that's right. Those three, if those three elements are like in play, that's when the transformation. So I guess at that moment that you were, you know, I was that voice, the message was clearly our presence and you were in that window. I'm like, I was, I'm ready. I was, on. didn't even know I was ready. I just, you know, gave it a try and it was life changing. And of course my journey after that just continued um, learning how to, learning about energy and Reiki. And then of course, coming back in contact with your friend, Andy Kelly, who I adore. Um, Andy Kelly, the Boston yeah. Buddha. I am such an extreme fan of his. Same. Uh, being he's able to actually the, he's actually the, the person who uh, we were doing, we were actually doing a meditation um, workshop together in, uh, in Milton. Um, oh, wow. And um, it was, it was over our birthday weekends, whenever that, whenever that was, sometime first week in May. And he was the first person who I ever heard Actually, I've only heard me say it since then. Um, <laughs> but who said, when we meditate, we don't take a time out. We take a time in. I love that. I don't think I've ever heard you or him say that. Well, whenever I say it, I attribute it to him. But that was like so powerful because when I'm teaching even in a secular way and sharing what meditation is, you know, it's not an escape from, from what's inside. It's not, you know, this external thing. It's actually, you're taking the time. You're going deep. You're going, you're, you're really connecting right. you know, to yourself. And I think and I that feel like is... There's, there's so many people these days I found in this practice here. I have a little practice in Mansfield, but just uh, knowing that so many of us don't go in enough. So many of us don't aren't connected to our physical body enough. And I feel like... Um, you're right, the message messenger and timing has to be just right for us to be able to give ourselves that time. I don't think we're, we allow ourselves any of that time. Uh, and it's just so important. It's so important to healing. It's so important to having appropriate relationships. It's just so important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been, we've been trained and we've been schooled uh, by everything we see on TV, everything we see on the internet, you know, everything that we're exposed to says, oh, you're looking for happiness? Oh, you're looking for fulfillment? Oh, you're looking for the end of suffering? Here's this thing, yeah. this external thing, yeah. whatever it is. It's a trip, it's a pill, it's a whatever. And so we've been, that's been reinforced so many, you know, millions of times with, with all of us. I'm in pain, take, do this thing. And I think the most profound learnings and lessons that we have really are listening internally listening to our heart, listening to our heartbeat, listening to our breath, listening to the voices inside of us. And we might say, no, 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 they're pretty harsh and negative voices. <laughs> All right, well, if you can move from your head to your heart, you'll feel, you know, you'll hear the voice yeah. that is never harsh, that is always wonderful and always beautiful. So um, I know you asked a question about an hour ago. <laughs> hey, listen, this podcast goes on tangents. I'm more, I'm mostly responsible for that. So don't worry about it. I love listening to you talk. No, it does I not matter. I was, I, was, I was the responsible party in that one. You've taken as well. <laughs> hey, you go on <laughs> as many tangents as you want to. I don't care. Uh, so way back, way, way, way back before meditation, 
Uh, you were living in New York City, yeah? Yes, I was. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and, and how you sure. found meditation, A, and then when did you realize, and I'll try to remember that I asked you this follow-up question so we don't, so we don't go off, but when did you realize that teaching it was what you was, I think, is your purpose to spread as oh. much as you can? When well, did you realize you know, that? Those are, all, those are all defining moments. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty clear on, on, on when those moments occurred and, and what happened. Um, I was uh, um, in New York. I was born in New York. Grew up there. Uh, went to school in Syracuse, upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was in Syracuse that um, I was taking this um, experimental Asian studies class. And so we were studying Suzuki and we were exploring Alan Watts and we were, you know, really touching on all these, you know, this is free Eckhart, Deepak, Don Miguel, you know, and any of those people. Mm -hmm. um, well, not, not before they were alive. No, I before, understand. Before, <laughs> you know, essentially before Oprah went whoop, and blessed them and their, their careers. That's right. <laughs> Otherwise, we would never heard of them. Um, so I was in this class, and and part of it was our, our teacher was um, a Zen, uh, a Zen Buddhist, and uh, which is a little rigid, but, you know. I'm not saying right. that's a little rigid for me. Let's put that in its fabulous tradition, but it was it was fairly rigid. And we would sit in a circle. There were twelve of us, and we would meditate. And our Zen master stood in the corner. Uh, we were instructed to raise our hand when a thought came into our awareness, which, you know, we have 60,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day, uh, one every 1.2 seconds. So, you know, people in the circle would just kept like raising their hands as thoughts would, would come into their awareness. Um, in his hand, he carried an 18-inch bamboo stick known as mm -hmm. Saku, And he literally would leave the corner, come over to the person whose hand was raised and hit them on the back. Not really that hard. But certainly you weren't expecting it. You know, you'd raise your hand and then you'd be like waiting for the, for the thwack. Um, and it was very, very jarring and startling. And I loved the meditation part. And I was meditating on the side of the class as well. But I had to like sort of like leave that school of, of meditation. I ended up, you know, sort of like, I had to ultimately like drop that class because I couldn't take, um, I loved the reading, but I couldn't take the practice. So uh, probably now that would be like a twenty million dollar lawsuit. Oh, at least if, you're, if your instructor hit you with a stick. Um, um, maybe but, I'll um, write a class about that. <laughs> My own little whacking class. That would be fun. Back in the day, that was you know fully accepted and, and I guess lifts the bar. I would never raise my hand. I wouldn't be truthful. I would just sit quiet. Yeah, well, that's what happened. I started lying to my Zen master. I was like, oh, I'm, all I'm doing is having thoughts, but I'm not letting anyone know here. That's right. Um, so I, so I left there and I started exploring other tiles. I left there and went right into candle gazing. And so, you know, like gazing at the flame and like stick, using that as the object of my attention. And then someone turned me on to Vipassana and then it went on like a, um, a two week silent retreat, you know, it was probably a little too early for me at the time, but, um, you know, and I would suggest to people if they're like, oh, I think I'll learn to meditate. I'll go to a, to a 10 day Vipassana silent retreat. You should probably <laughs> cultivate your practice a little bit before you suddenly don't speak That's right. for That's right. 10 days, because that can be, you know, pretty intense. Uh, um, another so thing, it's probably another thing that would make people not want to meditate ever again. Going oh jumping God, the too reasons, deep into it. 
I think the reasons that people stop meditating are are in in the millions. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, starting with, of course, you know, I don't have the time. Yeah. And then, like, oh, I'm not seeing the results. Yeah. And then um, too many thoughts. I don't feel I don't feel enlightened. Yeah. Um, and then I'm trying not to do it the right way because I have not yet to get something. Right. And then Jesus didn't come and whisper into my you know ear where the Buddha didn't land on my shoulder like you right. know, whatever whatever all, all those things are. Um, you know, the list is thousands. And the reason to meditate is to take your life to the next level. You know, even if that's a little less anxiety, even if that's, let me sleep better at night. Even if that's, let me stop barking at people. You know, like we can come up with, you know, I mean, there are as many reasons too as to not, but my feeling has always been more people have stopped meditating because of, of the rigid instructions they were given at the time. And like, why would you come back if it's not fun? And so my philosophy has always been, always get comfortable, always be as comfortable as possible. Make this a joy, not a chore. Because mm -hmm. no one wants to do chores. Nope. You know, I don't want it like vacuum, do the dishes or, or meditate. It's like, nah, not doing any of those chores. <laughs> How about like sit on the couch, you know, eat, eat ice cream, you know, watch TV, you know, like, yeah, that sounds so much, so much more profound and fulfilling than those, you know, than vacuuming or meditating. Um, but I had, you know, so I left that school and I started dabbling in all these different types of, I got into chakras, you know, at a fairly early age. My mom, you know, I was brought up with my mother. We would do like, like Friday night, um, Ouija board seances. No so way. I was, uh, so I was brought up in a, in a home that was somewhat kooky. Um, I love you know. that. I never knew that. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was like a big thing, you know. My mother was like, you know, she was so convincing us, you know. I mean, it, it was years that we, that we did the Ouija board. Um, so, uh, so I was a believer in, in energy. Yeah. And in, and in other realms and in people's uh, being very empathic. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and people being highly sensitive um, at an early age. So I was, you know, I was willing to dive into chakras and I was willing to, 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 to dive into mindfulness and like all these, it wasn't traffic trendy, it wasn't, trendy. but you know, I, it was, it was bringing me value. I, it was really, and I sort of like got my groove, but there was like a period of time, it was like a five year period of time where I was like meditating every single morning, really early, meditating every single uh, evening. And I, you know, I got it, I got it going on. Um, but then I got, you know, after I left, I left college and got involved in the corporate world and got deeper and deeper and deeper in a lot of different ways. And I ended up um, being in the world of finance, um, mergers and acquisitions. And that um, it's a fairly harsh, um, it's a pretty harsh environment. And uh, it's all about the money. It's not about, there are no pleasantries. You know, people don't say, say, how, how was your weekend? They say, do you have the results that, That's I, right. yeah. <laughs> that I was looking for? <clears throat> and um, people get fired if you, if, if, if you give someone coffee and it's cold type of, type of thing. Probably not, probably not now. But uh, Not very compassionate. I, doesn't really go well with meditation. No, well, it didn't go, it didn't really jive with me. And as I got nope. deeper and deeper into the corporate world, I realized that I was letting my meditation go. And it, and it wasn't that I was choosing not to meditate. I would just be like burning through the day and, and you know, I would end my day with a glass of scotch instead of a meditation. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's 
start my day, you know, with an early morning train ride. I was working on the 82nd floor of Tower 2 um, of the World Trade Center at the time. And so very, very quickly, meditation really was gone from my life. And the only awareness that I had was that I felt really unbalanced. Yeah. I felt that I was just like careening from one day to the next. And I was like burning for 14 hours and then passing out. And my relationships were struggling. I wasn't really feeling great about you know, all of my interactions. You know, I was a mess. I was a, I was a jerk. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, that, that whole meditation thing, just like I used to love it, <laughs> gone. And so in the wake of 9-11, um, I was walking past this row of cardboard boxes that people live in in Southern Manhattan, so, and I walked past this particular box, um, and this hand reached out at first and grabbed, grabbed my pant leg, and, you know, I steered in and pulled me, it, this guy pulled me in, um, he had these, these, these magnificent crystalline blue eyes, and he, like, leaned into me, and he said, what's going to be on your tombstone? Yeah. And that's, like, fairly reflective moment you know I call that like a butterfly moment like all the sounds of traffic stopped all the noise of the city stopped all the people sort of like vanished it was just like me and this guy asking me the most profound question I had ever been asked in a really really deep way and it seemed like hours it was probably just a couple of minutes but we maintained this eye contact and then we had this weird conversation without us moving our lips back and forth with each other and as long as I was like hanging in there um, and I reached into my pocket to like pull out, you know, some money to, to, to give him, I guess, out of guilt or conditioning or whatever. And he like pinned my hand, you know, he reached up and pushed my pocket, you know, leaned on my pocket and, and, and pushed my hand, like locked it in my pocket and said, right. it's not about, it's not about the money. The, the, it's not about the money, the answer is in the stars. Yeah. So like, there's like a whole bunch of, <clears throat> in my book, Sacred Powers, I sort of like, you know, talk about that a little bit, but like, he didn't open his mouth. I didn't open my mouth. There was this like intense, I don't know, whatever it was. Exchange and of then, energy of some sort, right? So powerful. And this is like yeah. the question, like, so was this a guy or this God speaking to me through this, through this person, you know, you know, is he conduit for energy? Like, I don't even know. But as soon as that was over, I staggered away from that. I couldn't catch my breath. Tears were streaming down my eyes. My knees were weak. I had to sit down on the steps of an, an apartment building that was, you know, about 50 feet away. Um, I was hyperventilating. It was like so bizarre. And, you know, really asking myself, like, why am I here? Yeah. What, what am I here? What am I here to do? What, what am I doing? What will be my legacy? What will be on my tombstone? You know, will my is my existence even relevant? So I came home and I told my wife this, and she was like, oh, "You need to quit your job." Oh my <laughs> like gosh! Her first thing, and I was like, "Yeah." She goes, "Oh, by the way, I've written down these um, the details for this meditation retreat in Oxford, England, and um, Deepak Chopra is is leading it." And I had never heard of Deepak Chopra. I thought she was talking, for some reason, I confused it in my head. And I thought she was talking about Francis Ford Coppola. And I just kept thinking, why is Francis Ford Coppola doing, doing a thing on meditation in Oxford, England? And I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I did, I'm fairly obedient. I, you know, I quit my job. 
Um, it was after nine, right after 9-11, so nobody was flying. So, you know, it was pretty, there was supposed to be a few thousand people at this thing. You know, 50. So that was pretty cool. And I got there, meditating. We were meditating for like, you know, three hours, you know, on the first day and then like four hours on the second day, and like five hours on the third day, not consecutively, breaking it up you know, over the course of the day. Uh -huh. But on that like fourth day, I remember that I had this sensation for the very first time in my life um, of joy. And I was like, maybe I had this as a kid, but I haven't had this in my adult life. There has been such a darkness on my heart, such a weight on my heart, such sadness and regret and like all this other stuff. And suddenly it was like, oh my God, you know, I, I feel joy. And so I was really feeling the powerful impacts. The only difference really in my was, you know, I was meditating a lot and I was probably returning back to that balanced state that I'd sparked, you know, many years before when I was in school. Um, so uh, I left that retreat and headed off to India because I was like, all right, I'm on a mission here. I have, I have to find, wow. you know, <laughs> I, I have to find the guru. And so I, you know, went to, got, you know, while I was in Oxford, you know, went to the USM um, consulate, got a six month visa to take me to India. And I just went from Oxford to, to Delhi and began my journey. And I was like traveling, you know, alone with a backpack, pretty much, you know, bathing in the Ganges, lighting incense, meditating, practicing yoga, asking people, you know, visiting the temples, praying, like doing all this stuff every single day in search of the guru, in search of the guru. And I searched through India for literally for five and a half months. And I met some very, very wise people. And I did some very, very cool things. And I had a lot of these pooped out butterfly moments as well. It was really coming towards the last couple of days that I was there. I was, I was um, laying in a hammock in a cashew forest in Kerala, Southern India. And I was reading the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. Which I had read, you know, probably, you know, 20 times, but. But what you said before about the message messenger and timing was really important. That's it. That was it, you know. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm laying right there and I read chapter two, verse 48. And this is where, you know, Arjuna, the greatest warrior is talking to God. This is the very, you know, Bhagavad Gita, it's 2,300 years old, but it's really the first conversations with God. Yeah. And so, um, you know, Arjuna says, you know, I'm conflicted. I'm struggling. I'm at a crossroads. I don't know what to do. How am I supposed to live my life? And God, Krishna, replies to him, yoga sta kuru karmani. Yoga sta, establish yourself in the present moment. Kuru karmani. And then take action. So it's like, get still and then be brilliant. Bhagavad Gita is specifically not about don't meditate and sit in a cave. That's not what you're here for. You're here to take action, but you got to get still first. Mm -hmm. So it can be your most intentional, your most impeccable, your most um, purposeful. Yep. Action. And that like hit me like, oh, that's how I'm supposed to live my life. I can pretty much do anything. As long as I get still first, then I'll be clear. I'll be more creative. I'll be more measured. And so I like leapt up, that was like this aha moment. And suddenly in that moment, I realized oh, the guru rests inside. I've been searching around here for six months, looking <laughs> under rocks, going into temples. Are you the guru? Are you my guru? Um, and 
Isn't there like a children's book? Are you my mother? It is. Yeah, I was just going to say that. It's like you're reading my mind. It's Dr. Seuss. Are you my mother? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what, it, that's what it felt like, that I was, you know, trying to find this thing, which, of course. Was always resting, inside you, right? Resting inside. Goes back to Andy Kelly. Taking a time in to connect to that. <laughs> Austin Buddha rides again. So, so that was like this aha moment to me. I packed up, you know, flew back home. And um, after like two months, two friends of mine came over to my house for an intervention. And they said, dude, you have clearly you right now. And you don't do anything. We've been trying to get you to go out with us and party and dance and drink and eat and do all this stuff and, you know, play sports. And like, and all you do is sit around and meditate all day long. And I was like, dude. I know it's incredible. And they're like, no, no, we're trying to shake you out of that. And I'm like, why? They go, well, you don't work. You don't do anything. You just sit and you meditate. I'm like, I know. So just so amazing. And they were like a little more practical than I was at the time. They said, you should probably learn to teach this to other people. And I was like, I'm from New York. I don't care about anyone else's meditation. And they said, well, if you really want to learn something, learn to teach it. Learn it from the inside out. You know, take your practice to even higher level by understanding all the stuff behind it. So I was very obedient. And they said, you know, you, you hung out with Deepak. You know, I think that thing you went to qualifies as one of the steps to becoming a, a teacher. And he's got a center in California. And I was like, all right, again, fairly obedient. You know, yes, you know, so I left, you know, my lotus position and headed out to uh, to California, which is where I am right now. Never left. Right. Are you still um, in Carlsbad right now? You're still there, right? I still am in Carlsbad, California. Came yep. out here in, in 2003. Went to the workshop and on July 14th, the third day of the workshop, Deepak um, asks me if I wanted to become the COO of the Chopra Center while I'm, while I'm in the workshop. So July 14th, Bastille Day, it's coming up. Um, oh, I don't know when this is airing. So maybe, maybe it already That's okay, happened. don't worry about it. It's, air, it's airing probably in a week or two at the most. But yes, Bastille Day will be a, a week before maybe it airs, maybe. Yeah, so I began that journey and started teaching meditation every day, started learning meditation, really reading the Bhagavad Gita, really reading the Yoga Vashishta, going deep into into the teachings of the Buddha was actually Deepak's partner, Dr. David Simon, who was like really this powerful mentor for me, exposing me to the Sufi teachings and the Buddhist teachings and the ancient uh, teachings of Vedanta, like all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, gave me the opportunity to teach every single day. So yeah, that's pretty much what I have done. At yes, I was also, I was also running the Chopra Center, but right. you know, the Southern... A part of my role was also to, oh, you lead the four o'clock meditation every day. Oh, there's a one o'clock class that you will teach, you know, to connect, you know, teach people the mantras. So like, that's what I did. I did it for a decade. Uh, ultimately, I became a dean of Chopra Center University. Yeah. Um, and on July 14th, it's my last day in 2012. And I sort of like um, taught as like a guest teacher for like another year or so. Um, at the Chopra Center, but I be, that's when I launched my own teacher training. That's when I started having my own events. 
That's when I started traveling around the world and teaching kids in hospitals and teaching pops and teaching Dutch special forces and NATO and, you know, all sorts of, you know, going to schools and things like that, that I had really not, you know, um, but, but you asked, you know, a couple of hours ago, like, what was, when was that moment? So after I had taught, like, and I remember the first time I was asked to teach, I was, I was horrified because I like, I didn't know the script. I didn't know, well, you know, what am I supposed to do? And this but, was still uh, while you were with Chopra? Yeah, this was like my first week. I yeah. graduated the teacher training and I'm like, they're like, okay, you teach every single Monday morning. We have a new group that comes in here and you're going to teach them meditation. So and you're I'm the like, first, oh, you're their first experience here. No, no pressure. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm their first experience, you know, 50 times a year for, <laughs> for you know, for, for a long time. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm the uh, COO. I've got, a, I've got a lot of stuff on my plate, you know, and I'm making like all these excuses. I go, how about Tuesday? And they're like, no, they arrive on Monday. They need to learn this on Monday. You can't like saunter in on Tuesday. So it was sort of like, you know, you know, baptism by fire. Yeah, and, I think that's the and, best way, quite frankly. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm probably, you know, if I would listen to the recordings of like those first, you know, few months, I'm sure they were pretty horrible. Um, but that's what I did. Yeah. So, um, and the fact that I led every single, we had, there was a, like a public meditation that they had there every day at four o'clock. So like every day at four o'clock, I was the guide of that. So that sort of like, you know, taught me people who were like really like showing up to learn meditation and then people showing up to meditate. It was a very, very different you know, things. Um, but it was probably after I had been teaching for about a month and saw like the light bulbs going off, you know, people who were like showing up, people in pain, people struggling, people, you know, at their own crossroads. And suddenly I was like, oh my God, this stuff is like amazing. Of all the things I've ever contributed to the world or added value, this is it. I'm actually helping people transform their lives. And, yeah. And so I was such a resistant teacher, for, you know, for those first, you know, month, couple of months or so. And then I was like, this is actually all I want to do. And so it was that spark. And I believe everyone, and, you know, you included, once you suddenly, you know, once your practice, like, hit a certain level, you're like, oh, my God, this stuff is so cool. I need to share it with other people. <laughs> you know, you didn't, you didn't create this podcast by accident, you know. You well, you know, not, some, people, not have created this. <laughs> some people might think it was by accident. Uh, I, this is a, this is also um, trial by fire. Like this is, uh, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Great idea. Let's interview mm -hmm. people. Okay. <laughs> like really, Liz? Yeah. Well, listen, this is just, this is just some expression of some spark inside of you right. that wants to share with right. other people. Share it all. Share it all. I, right. I, I, I just, and who knows? There may be other formats or who knows, you know, what this looks like, you know, as it goes on. But yeah, you know, you could just as easily have said, huh, that's pretty cool. I think I'll go and meditate and keep it to myself. And that's right. That no, well, you know, else. I'm a teacher. I actually went to school to be a teacher. I taught kindergarten for a number of years. And just this June, a few weeks ago, um, I decided to take a year off. So here we are. And <laughs> So I've always been a teacher and, and knowing what it did for me and knowing what your practice did for me and learning from Andy did for me and Reiki has done for me. I felt like 
everyone needs this, anyone who wants it. I mean, I'm not going to force it on anyone, but, you know, I feel like this is so beneficial for so many that, and, and as hard as people think meditation is, it's really not. I actually am of the same mindset, as long as you're comfortable and as long as you're breathing, <laughs> you know, and you have a distraction, just come back to what we're focusing on. Um, it's not that hard, even though it feels hard for some, you know, and everyone can access it, period. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, no, this is, this is, I think this is the thing, you know, you asked me, you know, when did I know? And so obviously, you know, you know, way before, you know, yeah. who knows, maybe you became a kindergarten teacher so that one day you could share in a podcast and, and touch, you know, the, the parents of all those kids. Yeah. Um, so you wouldn't have to do all that makeup work with the kids in kindergarten, the parents would already hopefully um, not have traumatized them. And, you know- they Well, there's a strong possibility I already traumatized them in class. <laughs> but I do, I have my own studio now and I teach meditation here and I have a weekly class and I do a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping to get the parents in as well. That really was my goal was to help teachers because ed teach educators, um, don't necessarily take care of themselves. They're constantly doing for so many others and they're always the last on their list. So my initial um, thought was help the teachers and then they can be there more present for the kids or their own families. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even two years later, I don't get a lot of teachers who come through my doors and it's just like, I don't get it. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, well, you know, Message, messenger timing. I agree. Message, so so messenger many people timing. say to me, oh, I'm 62. If only I had had this when I was 20, then I wouldn't have gotten divorced twice and, you know, be estranged from my kid or like I would have lived such a better life. And like the reality is you weren't ready then. Nope. You know, you, you, yes, it makes such sense right now. It made the same amount of sense, you know, 42 years ago, but you weren't ready. Nope. And so I think we come to this stuff when we're, when we're ready. I say it all um, the time. You, you hear the message when you're supposed to. And I may have read your books five times. I may have read another book five times. The one book that I read all the time is The Four Agreements, because even though it's this big, teeny, I, there's a new message in it for me every time. And it's when I'm ready to hear it, period. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we're never ready until we're ready. <laughs> so profound <laughs> yeah we're never ready until we're ready and of course we think we are you know classic FOMO you know we're suddenly like oh if only I had yeah what it could have showed you know right. our lives are you know could be either filled with what it could have showed us or they could be filled with the thing the choice we make right now and I believe the past is prep I believe all that falling through glass and the quicksand and trauma and all that stuff and um it's all preparation for this moment. I agree. This is all we got. This is all we got. We have this moment. We don't even have the moment that, that just left us. That's right. A second ago. And we don't have the next one because it hasn't, hasn't arrived yet. Right. So we can actually um, we can actually shift our lives and transform the world and 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 change our trajectory and change our belief systems and go beyond our comfort zones and wallow in in the past um 
play the victim, yep. play the survivor, play the thriver. I mean, we can do any, we are the masters of each moment. We, we get to choose that. Um, and, you know, so we have to always like figure out like, yeah, so what matters to me? And that's why I think that really getting clear on your sacred values is so important because we have to like ask ourselves like, what matters to me? What, what am I here to do right now? And not only that, once you do realize that, which is a huge undertaking, but once you, I mean, maybe for some, but once you realize that, then it really, everything else should fall away. Like, why am I then doing this? Because that doesn't have anything right. to do with my purpose. Why am I doing that? You know, like, why are we hanging on to all these bad behaviors? Or maybe they're not bad behaviors, so just not right for you at that time. So why are you doing yeah. that? You know, I well, think that's, that's where a lot of people struggle. Yeah, I'm not, um, you know, I don't usually use the word bad, but clearly no, there's, there's non-nourishing stuff. That's right. You know, you know the fourth drink, eh, it's probably non-nourishing. Um, streaming till two in the morning, probably not nourishing. Uh, getting revenge and saying the, the indelible thing, eh, probably not nourishing. You know, we can, we can go on. We could definitely <laughs> say these are distinctly bad things. Yeah. Um, but, but I have a filter that I, that I run through. Um, when stuff comes into my life and, and it's just nourishment or distraction, nourishment or distraction. I now, need to write that would, down. I'm writing that yeah, down. Write that down. You know, and the only way that I would know is this nourishing or is it a distraction is to be very, very clear on, on my, on my, um, on my values, you know, it's really important to me. <laughs> and like, I, I, I often carry around, I don't have it right now because I, I left it outside. I have a thing like my five agenda items. So these are not like my to-do list for the day. This is sort of like my to-do list, you know, for, for life. Yeah. So, so when someone says, <clears throat> um, so like one of the things on my five agenda items is meditate twice a day. Now I don't need it written down there because I'm doing that probably like three, four or five times a day, but that's on my mission. So, and my second meditation is usually somewhere between four and five. So if suddenly I have something scheduled at four o'clock, you know, often like, I don't even know how that happens because I'll try to keep that. But if it's scheduled before, you know, at four o'clock and it's going to run for an hour, I'll meditate before that. Or I'll make sure that the second that's over, I'll meditate after that. Cause that's on my agenda, my agenda item. I also want to use my platform, you know, I have a bunch of people that pay attention to me on different platforms, whether it's Insight Timer, you know, community. Oh, I've got that on my list of things to talk about when we're done chatting. <laughs> okay, great. You That's know, on so, my list. I've got all of your wonderful like, offerings here. You know, like to use my platform yeah. um, to, to, to help transform. So, you know, probably for five years when I was doing, you know, I did Hay House Radio, Hay House Radio show for a while. Um, a while. It was, it was eight years. Yeah. It was like no 400 shows or something like that. <laughs> um, but like every single, you know, I, I delivered my public service announcement every single day. Adopt your next pet. Was it profound? No. And I said it, you know, every single show. And I, you know, because it's really important to me. You know, I have found, you know, I've rescued um, dogs and I think other people, you know, should not, you know, just to put it, you know, not to not to buzz kill everything. You're not buzz in, killing. People should in, adopt. In, they shouldn't breed. In, I feel in, strongly. There's a lot of pets in, without homes. 
Yeah, in Florida alone, they're euthanizing 50,000 dogs a week. A week. So, um, and that's, you know, one, one state. So why not, you know, why not adopt your next pet? That's all. So, you know, there are other things that matter to me. I'm not, I'm not a fan of offshore drilling off the coast of California here. So that's, you know, something that sometimes I've been very, very activist about and other times I'm not even paying attention to it. But everyone's got their own thing. Yeah. Everyone's got their, some, some people, they, they, want, they want to promote, you know, this agenda or that agenda. And so I think it's really like, write it down. So between your like five to seven sacred values and your five agenda items, whatever comes in, you know, you can like look at that and go, eh, right. definitely, this, this, definitely a distraction. Yeah, does it nourish oh. my agenda or not? Right, exactly. So that's, that, that's like the, the filter that I use. Nourishment, distraction. I, I, I think, you know, after you use it just for, for a day, you'll be like, oh, this is really helpful. It's so helpful. I love that. I wrote it down and I actually, coincidentally, I know you're not going to believe me, but I, I'm going to show you. No one can see it, but you and me. This is a really a to-do list. So it's really not the same thing, but I think I'm going to, like everything that I want to do daily it's, is on there. And oh. I just did that this morning because I have to organize my thoughts a lot. And, you know, it's all very nourishing. That's why I put it on there. It's really yeah. important for me to do those things. Yeah. And I think when we move stuff from, from our brain, you know, from electric circuitry onto, you know, onto the computer or onto a piece of paper using, you know, a pen or ink or something, you know, suddenly we move it from unmanifest into manifest. I agree. And that's why I think, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm breathing. I'm clear on my values. Like, okay, well, why don't you write them down? Why don't you, why don't you like actually, you know, put them out there and, you know, what's the benefit of this? I think we would suffer less. I think we make better choices. I think we won't struggle. It's like, ah, this feels like I'm compromising. Guess what? You are. Yeah, it's, but yeah. you have, then you have to decide, you know, we, there are certain areas of our life where we do compromise. Is this one of those areas? So it's so, it's so interesting. I'm a really big believer. In, in translating from, from what's in your head on, you know, onto a piece of paper. Materializing yeah. and manifesting. It's really important. Yeah. 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 Well, you certainly have done so much for me in that area, I have to say. I know I sound like a fangirl, but I probably am the biggest one. Um, <laughs> I did have a question, and I think you sort of answered this, but maybe you didn't. But going out on your own, leaving Deepak and going out on your own, was that scary for you? Did it just feel like it was the right time? Did it feel like there was uh, no- You know what? It was, it was horrifying and yeah. it was a journey. Um, you know, I mentioned that Deepak's partner of over 25 years was Dr. David Simon, yeah. um, a neurologist. Um, Deepak was an endocrinologist and David Simon was a neurologist at the time. And um, so, I guess in 2000, uh, in 2010, David Simon is diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and, you know, he would say to me laughing, this is the ultimate irony. Neurologist dedicated to healing, diagnosed with glioblastoma multiform. Mm -hmm. um, so that was sort of like, once it happened in 2010, pretty much my whole arc, you know, 
I tried to spend as much time as possible just being with him. This is a guy who was a vegetarian since he was 17. And the second he got diagnosed, you know, and he drove a Prius, you know, and he had a dishwasher, but he only washed his dishes by hand. You know, he was like <laughs> the smallest footprint person I ever met in my life. And the second he was diagnosed, he was like, I've never had a shrimp dumpling. What did, what did he say? I've never had a shrimp dumpling. Oh. You know, and he was like, let's have shrimp dumplings. And he was like, so for like, for like his, for like, I don't know, like six months, he was just like eating all the animals that he had, you know, been so loving to for, you know, for his entire life. Um, he said, I could have driven a Hummer, you know, here I am. There's My no need. footprint <laughs> is so tiny. I've been driving a Prius. I could have driven a Hummer. Um, it didn't matter. But, you know, uh, there was like a period of time back in 2003 where, you know, we had all sort of like, you know, in one of those like three musketeer moments said, you know, we'll stay together forever. Of course, they had been together. I was sort of like the third wheel, you know, yeah. always in that, in that thing. But as soon as he got diagnosed, I realized end of an era. And it wasn't until he died that I was at a, um, I was actually doing my own retreat. It was the first retreat I was ever had ever done in my life. And it was in May and it was in Maui. And uh, at the end of the retreat, there was only like 14 people there. And at the end of the retreat, I was like, let's write down what we're ready to let go of. And then we're going to burn it and throw it there. Yep. And so, you know, I'm writing down all the noble things like let go of fear, let go of resentment. Like, uh, you know, these generic things. And suddenly I get to like the third one and I'm like, these are all BS. Really what I need to let go is a dream. I need to let go of a dream that 10 years ago, I carved into my heart that this is what I would do for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that I'm here, you know, to serve the goddess, you know, the, what does that look like? I have to let go of that dream. And my feeling was, well, I've accomplished like 85% of that dream. Am I going to spend the next 15 years squeezing out the remaining 15% or do I let it go and create a new dream and then, and then fulfill that from scratch. And so a lot of, you know, so that's what I wrote down. You know, I need to let go of this dream that I've been holding on to for, you know, about 10 years. It's been a wild ride. It's been amazing. It's, you know, magnificent in every single way. And I think it's time for me to build a new dream. And I think that's one of the scariest things that I ever did in my life, letting go of the dream. It's like, no one quits that job. You know, they're like, why would you quit that job? You can just coast on that for the rest of your life. But there was like, there was something else that, that you know, there was a, another calling that was coming to me, you know, in that time. So yes, one of the scariest things I ever did was um, tell Deepak that I was going to leave. That was like horrifying. Um, if David Simon was alive, I probably would have stayed there forever because I yeah. would not have been able to bear bear that conversation, you know. And meanwhile, we were like talking about death and like all this stuff on a constant basis. Yeah, but that would have just been too scary, you know. He would have felt like I, yeah, I completely can relate to that. One hundred percent. You know, again, not to turn this back on me, but teaching is a job that people get into and stay in for 30 years and they never leave because guess what? They feel like they can't. Um, and they're stuck there 
because they think that this magical pension at the end of their term will pay, you know, it's just, they're, they're there and they'll never leave. And, and I am, you know, gradually leaving and taking this year off coming up is, is frightening as hell. And I'm like, I just have to have faith that this is the right decision, you know, and I, I can completely relate to your, that part of your story because I'm petrified, uh, you know, but I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, well, um, you know, go to school on me, you know, probably the scariest thing I ever did and certainly the most liberating thing that I ever did as well. And, um, and I didn't have a plan B, you know, that seems to be like, you know, uh, and I'm not like a fan of like, oh, jump and the net will appear, you know, because I'm a believer in that, but that, that's really not what this is. This was like, you know what, um, how magnificent was that run? Yeah. Let, let me let me um, let me exit gracefully and yeah. enter gracefully, or maybe enter something not so gracefully, <laughs> you know, um, in, into a new thing, you know, because yeah. I think the I think, you know, what got you into teaching? It was your curiosity. It was your innocence. It was your desire to serve. You know, it was like all these things, you know, and it's like, guess what? You're probably a little different now. You probably have, a different, you know, a few different things on your agenda item list. Um, than you might have had, you know, when you when you started teaching kindergarten. So suddenly we start to realize um, that there, you know, there's that that ancient line, you know, Lao Tzu, five thousand years old. When I let go of who I am, I become who I might be. Mm-hmm. But you got to let go. Mm-hmm. You actually have to risk the letting go yeah. to see what the new thing is. Yeah, firm and, believer in letting go and op- and opening space for what's supposed to come. You know, especially here in the heart chakra, like you let go and you have space now for what's meant to be to, to, to find you. I, I believe that. But you do. You're right. You have to let go. You have to really let go. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have yeah. to. And, you know, there's 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 grieving. It probably took me um, maybe two years um, to 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 fully grieve that. Actually, I wrote um, the libretto to an Ayurvedic opera. Um, it, it was like a five hour um, Ayurvedic opera that, you know, which was essentially my, you know, my catharsis, you know, my, my, my full on release of that. Um, and then um, turn that into um, connected to my friends, uh, MJ Vermette and, and Dean Richards. Um, they are sacred fire mm-hmm. music. And I said, "Hey, here's my five-hour libretto. Can you can you distill that down into like an hour?" And you know, it after like six months, they were like, "We have real problem like editing you. We, we're, <laughs> we're 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 afraid to like cut out an important word or musical thing or whatever." I'm like, ah. So and they're lately we're living in Canada. So I, I flew up there and lived with them, and we hacked at that thing. And they are amazing musicians and. You know, and we created um, the CD Journey to Infinity, which, you know. I don't have that one. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 102 minutes and it's an Ayurvedic journey. Um, and you can listen to it on, you know, I mean, it's on Amazon Music or Apple Music or. Okay. Know, and what's the purpose YouTube. of it? You listen to it for a meditation or. It's a, I talk a lot in it, but at the end of these 102, if you, if you, Here's I can't what I believe you. I can't believe you talk a lot in it. Yeah, here's what <laughs> I would suggest. 
you know, put it on and then just lay down and do a 102 minute meditation. And everything about Ayurveda will be infused into the space, air, fire, water, and earth. Um, the music is unbelievable. The, the cellular shift is crazy. Some of the tracks have binaural beats on it. So, so oh my God, I'm already sold. going into different yeah. cool things. Yeah. So um, yes, they're all, it's, it's really all these, these meditative journeys of, but it's a lot, you know, it's music too. So uh, anyway, so that was my, like my, my creation to end that. So I would suggest this um, to you, Elizabeth, maybe you begin and maybe you've done it already. But, you know, whether it's journaling or whether it's writing stuff down or whether it's, you know, lessons from from school, you know, what, what, what did I learn type of thing. I believe there's either content for, for future podcasts or, or for this unfolding because, you know, when you pour your heart into something for such an extended period of time and then like Forrest Gump, you go, I think I'll stop running. Oh. And you're like, uh... Okay, and you know, the, at the cellular level, the, the, the body, the energy, the mind was so, you know, second nature doing this thing. And then suddenly it's like, time out. Let's stop this and let's start something else. And so there's pieces of us that still remain in there. Like I said, it took me, t took me two years to grieve that loss. You know, because every time, you know, I still like get like a, an announcement. Oh, Deepak's going here. I'm like, oh, man, Jeez, you're making me really emotional right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think I think all of us have an opportunity to let go of a dream. Um, if it's not, you know, if it's my feeling is don't squeeze it down to the. No, to the I think that's so right, that, though. You're right. 100%. It, it, what a, the best piece of advice that I, I'm, I'm literally crying right now. Thank you because it's obviously something I needed to do, but to hear is, you're right, I'm going for 16 years of something that I've identified with for so long to not doing that. And, and I know I'm teaching here in a different way. And I keep saying that I'm teaching in a different way. I'm still teaching, but it's truly, you're right, you go 100 to zero and you have to process that. So thank you for that advice. That's amazing. That's yeah. Well, thing. listen, you are teaching in a new way, but there's all these, um, all these moments that you've had, all these people, all these interactions, all those defining moments and etchings from the past, you know, if they were relevant, they got etched. And we would like to think that there was a whole bunch of relevant etching, you know, highs and lows as well. Um, but so this is the opportunity for us to, to honor that by really putting it in, you know, it's like, okay, let, let me put it in context now. You know, I, I, I wasn't doing that, um, you know, and maybe I thought when I did it, I'll, uh, I'll retire at a hundred, um, but guess what? Um, it's, it's time to, to use everything that I've learned to now go on this next journey. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's so wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, <laughs> damn. Practically sobbing over here. That's it. All right. So let's talk about all the things that you're doing now. First of all, your books that I know that I've read. Um, I haven't read Sacred Powers yet, so forgive me, but. Oh, come on. Don't tell David G. <laughs> Destressifying Secrets of Meditation. And of course, there's Sacred Powers. 
um, I just learned that you wrote uh, an, a libretto, um, Ayurvedic music. Yeah. That's insane. Well, that would have that would have been the only Ayurvedic, you know, opera ever in existence. I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, yes. And and it was probably way, 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 way too long. And you know, it took about nine iterations to get it down from like five hours down to you know 102 minutes. Um, and that's the only reason I'm so aware of 102 minutes because we're like constantly trying to, to chip away because we're like, oh, it's not an Ayurvedic opera now. It's an Ayurvedic song cycle. I'm like, well, those are really taking off. Um, so, Super popular. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> so clearly, you know, that was it's one of those things where like I wrote it clearly just to clear my heart. Yeah. And, um, and it turned into something beautiful. It's magnificent. I can't wait to get, I'm going to listen to it. I promise you, like when I go home, I'm going to plug in because I love binaural beats too. So I'm going cool. to listen to that. Um, so the other things that I know you're doing right now is you have a membership program off of your website, which is davidg.com. It's a mind shift membership. Yeah. You can access yeah. your content and learn from you there. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, for like the last, um, since 2000, um, 11. I have sent out um, to anyone who subscribed. Um, I've recorded a, a guided meditation and shot a video every, every single week for, for 10 years. Um, and I've, you know, recorded, you know, all this other content with, with Unplug and with Inside Timer and with, you know, Grokker and Hay House and, and so many other places. So I'm up to like 1,200 meditations. And I was like, you know what, let me take, you know, what, what, let me curate what I believe are like my, my favorite 500 mm -hmm. and put them into this vault. Yeah. You know, so that everyone who's really part of my world, you know, can participate in that. And then that grew into the MindShift membership, which is, you know, every month we have webinars and, and connections and we have a private Facebook page and we have guests, music and performances and videos and worksheets and all the tools that I think are really um, so necessary in taking our life um, to the next level. And so I don't really advertise a lot. I don't really talk about it a lot, but it's sort of like my favorite curated content. I think that's perfect. I think that, that people who subscribe are probably doing exactly that, taking their lives to the next level and learning more about yeah. themselves than they ever knew and, and, and really helping them to heal, I hope. Um, yeah, I hope Insight so. Insight Timer, yes. Insight Timer is a great place to find you. I, I, have yeah, I just released, I just released, um, just honestly, in, in, in the last couple of weeks, uh, a new course on Insight Timer, uh, the healing sessions, bring your soul through the second meditation of the day, because I don't think everybody even knows about the second meditation of the day. Well, so I this do. is an opportunity <laughs> for people to go like, oh, cool. So it's my yeah. 10 favorite second meditations of the day. My second um, meditation of the day is always my, what I feel is most productive. Yeah. Yeah. The first one is always like um, all the things that my mind didn't think of while I was sleeping. And now it's thinking about it. That's my first one. <laughs> I love that. Um, and also, I just saw, I was looking on your website, noticed that you were having a virtual med meditation teacher training program. Did that start already? Or what, when does that start? Uh, or is that it a self-paced thing? Um, it's, it's, 
It starts in two weeks. Um, it is a self-paced um, thing. We do um, collect, well, it's a 16-week program. So calculate 16 weeks, and then we have a virtual in-residence. Um, ah. And so um, COVID has really sparked that. You know, we yeah. used to do this all in person. Yeah. 15 weeks online and then meet up in person it's even cooler to do the whole thing online because now we have people from all over the world who are like, eh, I wasn't going to fly and book a hotel room, but I can go through the whole training. And then our in-person virtual week is pretty intense um, because we've, you know, like we create study groups over the journey. Um, you know, I've learned a lot of best practices and worst practices for meditation teacher training. And so I'm, I'm always, you know, trying to level up, trying to really raise the bar on the Masters of Wisdom and Meditation teacher training. Um, so there's so many yeah, ways. Yeah, we do that We do that twice a year. That's fabulous. There's so many ways that people can listen to you. Um, so there's the, you're super accessible. So anyone out there who wants to start a practice, who's been curious about starting a practice, you can follow him on Instagram, <laughs> David G Meditation. You can go to his website. You can literally find him almost everywhere. Um, and right. you can start your journey to leveling up your life um, it, it's just such a great tool to have in your, in your toolbox to help you. Um, so consider trying meditation. If you're not going to listen to me, then listen to someone else. <laughs> listen to him. <laughs> okay. I don't want to take up any more of your time, except there are three questions that I ask everybody. You ready? And then we can be finished and you can go enjoy the absolute perfect weather of Carlsbad. I've only been there once. And it was beautiful this time of the it year, is, actually. It is. We have our own little microclimate here. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's it perfect. perfect almost every single day. Um, and, the, and one of the first times I meditated, I forgot to tell you this, was on Carlsbad State Beach. Really? Yes. I, my friend lived close by and she was working. Or something was happening. I was visiting her and I said, you know what? I'm going to walk down to the beach. And I'm going to try this meditation thing that, that, you know, I'm just going to try it. So I walked down to the beach um, and I walked down the stairs, which were like, like lots of stairs. That's, I, I vaguely remember a lot of stairs. Are there a lot of stairs? I could be wrong. This was so long ago. And I walked down and there was nobody on the beach. There was nobody. I had the whole beach to myself. I walked out halfway to where the, where the waves were sat down and had an amazing experience. So that's the first place I ever meditated all by myself. Love that. Yeah, it was, a, yeah. It was like 2010, maybe 11. Yeah. Maybe. I don't even remember. It was a long time ago. Um, yeah, well, it's, very, it's a very special place. So special. Yeah, that's one of the most amazing. I grew up in New York where you have to like park like a mile from the beach, pay like $30 for parking, and then walk all the way to the sand and then fight people for like a little patch of, of sand and here you just like drive there show up all the beaches you have to walk down a thousand stairs um because we're you know on like a cliff down to sea level and then it's just amazing it's, it's amazing like, it was amazing it's like it's your own beach no matter when you go so. not only that but i was on the other side of the country i was on the other coast and you know coming from massachusetts and and growing up with the atlantic ocean i sat there and i was like uh, excuse my language holy shit that's the pacific ocean i literally stared at it like this is the street <laughs> it was weird for me i don't know i was 
I don't know. I was in awe of the Pacific Ocean, knowing that it was the Pacific Ocean. We should all be in awe of the Pacific. Sweet mama O. Oh my God, the ocean is frightening, yet it's just gives me a lot of energy and feeling. So I love the ocean. All right, you ready for my questions? Yes. Okay. Um, when you are, I, mean, I know your answers, but I don't want to assume, but when you're at okay. most, at your most peaceful, and it could be a non-meditative state, but when you're at your most peaceful, what is it that you're doing? When I'm at my most peaceful, hmm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, uh, I spent a lot of time in peaceful places, um, but I think one of my, I guess if we would translate like peaceful into, into tranquil. Yeah. Um, when I'm not meditating. Right. Um, I love looking at the sky. And um, I live far enough to, on the edge of Carlsbad that's fairly on, you know, not a lot of light pollution here. So, um, so that's, one, that's one of my things. I also live eight miles from the beach. So sometimes I can just sit on the sand um, with peaches and she'll just, well, she's usually not peaceful. She's usually digging for, <laughs> that's what dogs for, do. for crabs or something like that. Um, but just sitting there and, and watching the waves. <clears throat> and because, you know, Carlsbad, I like going at low tide and at low tide, all is revealed. And the tide pools are all revealed. So you have that turbulence of the ocean and you can hear it. And then you see just like that gentle rippling inside the tide pools. And that always just looking at that always makes me realize, oh yeah, it's like my mind, you know, is, is always has all these thoughts going on inside it. And yet when I connect to the present moment, when I connect to the stillness and silence, I'm like the, I'm like the tide pool. So probably the, the, the stars and the ocean. Oh, that's fabulous. Thank you. Um, and your favorite book, a book, one book, it could be one of your books, but a book that you would recommend. I usually say, oh. <laughs> it's Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita, hands down. I've read this copy alone, I don't know, 500 times. I'm a Bhagavad Gita nerd geek. Um, I have, this one is translated by um, His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. But I love Eknathi Swaran's translation. Um, the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi has his, has his own translation. There's so many hundred, Paramahansa Yogananda has a translation. So much, um, Einstein read it every day. Thoreau read it every day. Um, Emerson read it every day. Gandhi read it every day. I would like to put my, my name into that hat. I'll, I'll sign up with those four guys. Um, and for me, it is, beyond a doubt i can just crack it open and suddenly it's just like it's unbelievable so i'm just like i just like cracked it open here yeah and and it's um this is uh, chapter four verse 10 being freed from attachment fear and anger being fully absorbed in me and taking refuge in me this is this is god speaking him Many, many persons in the past became purified by knowledge of me, and thus they all attained transcendental love for me. So like I take that and like that's what I love to do, just like, and I've been doing this since 2003, just cracking it open and finding this pearl of wisdom. Yeah. Maybe it makes me ask a question. Maybe it gives me an answer. Whatever it does, suddenly I'm like, 
transported and a little wiser than I might have been. Yeah. So, so do you suggest reading the whole book through and then perhaps opening it on <clears throat> for some guidance? Yes, I recommend um, reading Eknath Iswaran's translation from cover to cover. Um, it's a little thinner than the one I have right here. Yeah. Um, he's, he's such a brilliant translator and so poetic and he's like a modern time and he's not religious. So it's really, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful translation. And then I would buy, which is what I did, you know, buy 15 Bhagavad Gita's and put one in your kitchen, one in your living room, one in your bathroom, one in your car, one in your, on your nightstand. And, Those are like my readers, my, my daughter you, readers. <laughs> That's exactly it. Well, you should take those readers and get a Gita for every, as like, as a stand for each of yeah. your readers. And then just like, as you move around throughout the course of the day, just crack up in the Gita and read that and read a line, read a line, read a line, read a line. And ultimately it'll be embedded inside of you. Thank you. Last question. And then, then you can go and enjoy, again, enjoy your beautiful weather. Um, I, again, I, I think I know the answer to this one. But if money wasn't an object at all, which it really isn't, if we really are to ask the question, but if we didn't need it to survive in the way that we're used to surviving, surviving, what would you be doing with your life? Uh, I am living my best life right now. I knew it. I don't, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know five years from now, honestly. Yeah. But um, I sort of made a bunch of really big decisions when I left the Chopra Center. Yep. And I said, I'm not going to hang out with anyone and spend time with anyone unless I care about them. Um, I'm not going to um, do stuff that um, is not on my agenda. It doesn't, doesn't nourish you. Yeah. It doesn't nourish me and it's not, you know, aligned with my values. Um, on a daily basis, do I end up going like, oh, I should have gone to the store or, oh, I should have called that person back or, oh, I should have written that letter. Of course, of course. But I believe that um, right now I am um, doing, I'm helping, healing and serving others using my unique gifts and my native energies. There's a whole bunch of different ways that I can do that. But right now it, it feels, it feels right. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you yes, so much for coming on. Thank you for spending this time with me. I can't thank you enough. I, I know that so many people will get so much um, from this conversation. And I just want to remind everyone that they can, if they don't already follow you, to follow you on Instagram, which is David G Meditation. Follow you on your, go to your website, check out the membership, check out your website is davidg.com um, and also remind people that they can access you through insight timer which is my absolute favorite app for meditation such a great app isn't it Such a great uh, app. and i don't know if i told you but i used to listen to you on soundcloud too yeah <laughs> whenever you know <clears throat> where there's a will there's a way you'll find a meditation um it is available well, everything, everything for me started on soundcloud because That's it was so like cool. the easiest that, platform yeah, yeah i like do. soundcloud um, but anyways, if you need to find a meditation, you can always find one, um, especially by David G. He's one of the best. And after listening to his voice, can't you see yourself falling asleep just listening? I mean, not in a bad way. <laughs> it's okay. You know, I sort of like, you no, know, you know, I'm, I'm always teaching and sometimes it's a room of, you know, 50 people and sometimes it's 500. But 
um, my profession is the only profession that at the end of the session, people are not standing and applauding. Right. They're, they're unconscious. So yeah, no. if, I've done, if I've done my job really well, people are like slumped over, you know, with their tongue yep. hanging out of their mouth and, you know, it's like, eh, not quite a standing O. But I'm I'll here all it. week. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so great. Well, thank you, David G. Um, really from the bottom of my heart for many personal reasons, but especially for coming on and spending time with me. I know Brittany is going to be super sad that she missed this. And I know my sister Kathy is going to be so excited to hear it. <laughs> We're big fans. Um, but thank you. Hi, I'm gonna... Don't forget to uh, don't forget to say hi to your mom for me. My mom. My mom. <laughs> you mean my daughter? <laughs> your mom. My mom. Your mom. Your mom who created this this whole litany of the, of the three sisters. Like oh mom. yeah, my sister and me and my. Okay, I gotcha. I'll say hi to my mom for you. She'll be thrilled. To, she, if I showed her a picture of you, she'd probably be like, "Is that my son? <laughs> Is that Johnny?" Yeah, you definitely could look. You look like you belong in my family. But again, I appreciate you. I'm so grateful for you and your time. Thank you very, very much for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Wow, what a great episode. Another huge thank you to David G. Remember, you can access his offerings. Just go to his website, davidg.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-J-I.com. You can join his MindShift membership. He has online courses. Um, he's got a great free sweet spot community on um, Instagram. And you can follow him there on Instagram at davidgmeditation. And if you're interested in becoming a meditation teacher trainer, he's got a workshop coming up. Also, don't forget you can listen to him on Insight Timer, my absolute favorite meditation app for beginners, intermediates, and advanced meditators. So thanks again for joining me for this great episode of Heal. Until next time, may you all be happy, healthy, safe, and live a life that is filled with ease. Thanks again. Bye.